Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the spooky world that is Rule the Roost podcast, a Halloween special, no, it's not really a Halloween special at all, um, just trying to be a bit topical there, although we have had a pretty horrific week as Tottenham Hotspur fans, so that's uh, a all too convenient segue that I haven't actually planned. I keep saying segue, I've caught that from you, Mr. Raj Baines, how do I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, I'm not. I'm not down with this. Uh, this Halloween special, though. I'm not a fan of Halloween whatsoever. Really? Why is that? Yeah, I hate it because uh, it's because it's completely manufactured and yeah. a load of bollocks to sell plastic fangs and fake blood and shite. To yeah, all that business. It's not very English, is it? All this organised fun and happiness. I don't very much like no. it. Um, oh, I, um, it's, it's apparently Irish. A lot of people will say, oh, bloody Americans, this and that, but apparently Halloween's actually Irish. So I don't, we, I don't, we, I don't care where it's from, I just don't like it. I was, I was going to say, it works out either way for the English, because we can blame either the Americans or the Irish, so it's, you know. Oh, there is that, yeah. Yeah, you know. There we go. But, uh, right, let's, before we talk about the true horrors of this week, mate, um, let's talk about like one of the lighter spots um, against whatever they call Partizan Tripoli or whatever you know they are. Asteras Tripoli. Yeah, um, not not a bad result considering there are a load of hotel owners and <laughs> taxi drivers, was it? I mean, good performance. It's the type of result you expect in those kind of fixtures, really, isn't it? But it's good to see that Spurs are actually getting one of those kind of results out of their system. Um, honorable mention to Eric Lamella with uh, a, 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 a Galazzo. Is that the term? I believe so, yeah. I mean, the, the thing I was most pleased was the fact that it was a, a professional performance against the weaker side and one that we've not really seen much of this season. Um, so it was a nice... Nice thing to see that we um, brushed them aside with no real issues. There was the the red card, of course, and Harry Kane going in goal. But but by the time that had happened, I think most people were just in enjoying the game for what it was, and it was um, it was actually a thoroughly enjoyable thing to watch. Which most of our Europa League games haven't been this season. Harry Kane's really carving out a niche as not only a <laughs> a massively cult player, like it seems to be spreading past Tottenham now as well. I've noticed that quite a few other people are starting to embrace Harry Kane as a bit of a cult figure. Um, but he's actually seeming to embrace the fact that he's, you know, again, still quite a promising footballer. Uh, and I wanted to, well, I don't know. This will probably link us into 
Newcastle a bit too early. Um, but I wanted to talk also about the, the article you wrote during the week because there's been obviously a lot of discussion following on from his his hat-trick um, in the week as to why he didn't start against Newcastle. Um, and I mean, for me, even in hindsight, I personally feel it was the right decision not to start him, um, which will probably not go, which doesn't go down well with everybody. But uh, for a lot of the reasons that you so eloquently cited in your your piece about, you know, too much expectation, so on and so forth, ultimately being counterproductive for the lad's progression. Um, I mean, do you, do you want to summarise your, your piece more more eloquently than I've just done so there, Raj? Um, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I can do it as eloquently as uh, you have. Um, I think the main thing that I was, oh. I, was, uh, I was trying to get onto was the fact that um, I didn't want it to be too much too soon for him. And although he's not that young, he's not a teenager and he has been playing well, um, there's a tendency in this country especially to want an English player who's, who's done well at a certain level and then he comes into a side and performs. He will then get sucked up into this hype machine that goes above the club, but it goes above the fans. And even though I think the way I said was that there's nothing more malicious than good intent behind people wanting Harry Kane to succeed, uh, meaning that you know the only reason people want him to do well is because he's he's one of our own. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. The reason that I would try and safeguard him and, and ease him in a slight bit more than that is the fact that if you if you look at players that have experienced a similar sort of thing to he has, whereas there's this Townsend at almost this time last season where he was projected into the, the England side um, and played well against some lesser sides, it, it raised expectations to a level where when his performances did dip, the... You know the the rhetoric surrounding him went completely the opposite direction. So you had the the build and you had the fall, and it was something that this time last season you 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 accused me on this year of having a um, an agenda against Andros Townsend when I said that I didn't I, want I'd him never to play. do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those words quite clearly um, because I was saying quite a lot that I don't want him to play as much. I don't want people to get too over the top with him because it will end up hurting his chance in the future and not just because I've been shown to be proven right to a certain extent but it's I don't want the same to happen to Harry Kane he's, he's, he might get swept up um, but as you say I explain it much better in a much greater detail yeah, in that piece I, I, I think w- one of the things that's also worth noting is that even when he is and he is performing very very well when he's getting the chance I think what a lot of people kind of need to bear in mind is that he's he's operating not only very well from a position where there's literally, well, not literally, but there's next to no expectation upon him. Um, he's still kind of treated as a bit of a figure of fun. So it's like, let's chuck Harry Kane in. Um, and yeah, OK, admittedly, recently when he's actually starting to perform a lot better, people are now starting to expect that he will perform at a certain level. But at the same time, I still don't think there is any pressure on him to perform as such um, because people will still afford him that that freedom to say, well, you know, he stepped in when we've needed him to. So at the tail end of last year in the Premier League and in the uh, Champion, not Champions League, I wish, in the Europa League um, and the Cups overall this season, 
Um, and he's he's performed and he's scored goals when we've needed him to when other players haven't done so. But when you start taking that and saying to this lad, OK, now you're our outlet. You are the one like we've, we've dropped a 26 million pound striker and we've dropped, a, you know, a well-travelled um, and talented player who's in a rut of form. But you are now the, the spearhead of our attack. That's a very different proposition to kind of go out there and prove yourself to us. You know, this is, this is a, a huge step up. Um, and I, I think at the same time, like being up front is one of those positions where as much as when you're playing in goal, your inadequacies are highlighted in, well, your, your inadequacies and your successes are highlighted in just such a black and white fashion in that, you know, we've seen Soldado, whatever, you know, he hasn't scored enough goals and that's, that's true, but we have seen him perform well in games. And again, it's another point that's derided and laughed at, but his link up play is very good. However, because he's not scoring goals, people just say he's shit and you laugh at them because, you know, when people say, oh, but he's doing other stuff well, but people say, well, you know, he's a striker. He's supposed to be scoring goals. That's a be-all and end-all. As with, you know, a goalkeeper, I, I guess it's slightly different, but a goalkeeper lets in goals. People say, well, you know, the keeper could have performed better. You know, you even see people say that about Lloris. You see people say, oh, Lloris could have done more there. He could have done this. He could have done that. You think, well, come on. Keep, he's, he's, he's joint, if not the best keeper in the Premier League, and people still find room to criticise him because he's leaking goals, but the whole team is. Um, and I, I, I just think there's no harm at all in having a player like Harry Kane on the back burner, somewhere where, you, you know, we don't have to have this like rampant expectation of he has to be in now, he has to score goals because otherwise we won't, whatever, finish top four, we won't do this, we won't do that. Like, what's the rest? Of it? It's quite obvious that we're not going to finish in the top four this season. And other than that, finishing outside of the top four, you know, as long as we're not in a relegation kind of battle half of the supporters probably three quarters don't even want us to play in the Europa League anyway so what's the harm in kind of giving Kane this freedom just to 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 keep building like to keep building his confidence and to keep just building his ability because as you've seen like yeah yeah, he scored a hat-trick and he has been scoring goals but at the same time if you actually watch him play in these games he's still not the finished product either you know he's he's still prone to kind of you know, slight inadequacies in his goal. I mean, some people have highlighted the fact he, he, he maybe isn't as clinical as he could be. And it's, it's a bit of a harsh thing to say about someone that's just scored a hat-trick. So it's probably not as apt for this performance. But definitely in the past, there's been, there's been games when, you know, he's scored maybe the difficult chances, but not put away the kind of straightforward ones where a more experienced striker, you could argue, could. But uh, I don't know. It, it sounds like I'm being, you know, negative of the guy, and I'm criticising when I, I don't mean to do that. I just think at the moment, while he's a young player that probably doesn't even know his own best position, whether he's a number ten or if he is a striker, or you know, if he is going to play well coming off the wing, or you know, who knows? Um, just just keep letting the lad do what he's doing and and build up. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's enough said about Harry Kane. Um, the better, but. Uh, uh, you know, um, if we if we are to kind of go on to go on to the Newcastle game, um, very much a, 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 to use an old cliche, a tale of two halves. In that, I, you know, I was exchanging texts with my mate who supports Newcastle at half time. 
you know, where we were both kind of of the agreement that Newcastle's players didn't give a shit. They looked like they weren't up for the game. Tottenham had their tails up. They were playing nice football. And then it was completely the reverse in the second half. Um, I mean, do you do you buy into the theory, mate, that's been banded around that it was primarily about the attitude and the application of the players in that it was it was the mental game that we lost? I think to a certain extent. Um, I think we should have been out of sight by the time half-time rolled around. Um, we had plenty enough chances to, to have scored a few more. And... Um, I tweeted to a similar effect after we'd scored the first goal that Newcastle weren't really performing and we were we would have done well to take advantage of that. To score in the manner they did, uh, when they did, uh, just seemed to knock so much confidence out of us for such a long period of time that um, they just they just grew in stature after they scored and uh, it was you know as you say it was a game of two halves. They took the initiative um, and we we were. You know, passive and, and allowed them to until we made some substitutions late on. Um, I mean, it was it was polar opposite to to how we expected the game to go. Um, I mean, credit to Newcastle for taking advantage when they did because it's it's not as easy as it may have seemed to um, to have scored that first goal. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a set player they've worked on or if it's just a, a freak incident that's happened once. But Fucking FIFA goal, that, wasn't it? Like, it was a FIFA revenge goal. Well, Jack Colback played an absolutely fantastic ball. Um, Eric Dyer wasn't ready. Um, I mean, you can't blame him too much. It was it was one mistake, but in the, at the time it happened in, and in isolation um, for you know the equaliser and what it led to, it was... Um, it was. It looked much worse than it probably was. Wasn't there some um, bollocks? I I didn't actually see it myself, but wasn't there someone was saying that he was high fiving Kabul and had to run back into position quickly from from high fiving Kabul, and that's why he got caught out. I don't, I don't know if that's it wasn't. Just... It wasn't that that drastic. Um, he was the last one back on the field for one reason or another. If he was having a piss or something, it was. You know, it's one of those things. The game doesn't start until he's on the field, and he he wasn't that far behind the rest of them. And as he's running across to right back, the person who's next to him is Kabul. So as he's running back into his usual position, he just gives Yunus Kabul a casual high five, just as any teammates would. I don't think you can read too much into that. I think you desperately searching for sticks to beat the boy with if you're going to go that far. Um, but he did. As soon as his, his feet had stopped still in the right-back position, Newcastle kicked off. So that was his his introduction to the half, was the ball being played quite beautifully over the back of his own head. And um, he just got in a bit of a mess. He just wasn't ready. And uh, Sammy nah. Amiwobi did fantastically to exploit that. He, uh, he, he, he did have a ropey game, but... I mean, so far, how, what, are your, what are your general feelings about Eric Dyer? Because I, I think he looks like a, a fairly decent little player, to be honest. I, I agree. Um, I don't think he's a right-back. Um, no, no. I, I don't think he's a right-back in the same sense that Jan Vertonghen is a left-back. They can do a job there to extent, but you can uh, you can tell from the way in which they're playing that that's not their natural position. And it affects the, the people in front of them. Um, if you look at the form that Chadley's shown so far this season, it's directly in line with how well Danny Rose has been playing because those two have, have been given the opportunity to build an understanding. They just, they, they've, they've both come on leaps and bounds and the left-hand side for us at the minute picks itself because those two are, are helping themselves both in defence and attack. If you then to look at right back, when you've got Lamella there, who's 
they're still finding his feet in the league What in what is his first proper season. You've got Eric Dyer behind him who... Again, it's his first proper season. They're both very young, and Eric Dyer isn't a proper fullback, so he's not supporting Lamella going forward as much as he should, and Lamella is not supporting him going backwards as much as he should. It's it's just not a partnership that's that's going to help us in any manner whatsoever. If you actually look at Lamella's performance midweek when he was much better, uh, even though the the opposition were worse, he was helped by the fact that Ben Davies is a natural left back and he was playing on the left where Ben Davies was supporting him coming forward much more. There was a lot more interplay between the two. And the fact that Ben Davies was such more, so much more attuned to what his role is as a left-back, whereas Eric Dyer isn't a natural right-back in the same sense, that you can tell that with him. And I've said before on, on the show that the teams just aren't about players, but they're about the, the partnerships that players have in certain positions. And down the flank in modern football, especially where full-backs are so important, that, that wing position is is massively crucial to get right. And that's an imbalance we've got at the moment with with both Norton and Walker missing. I think uh, one of the other things that's worth looking at from, from, the, uh, from the Newcastle game um, is Pochettino, because he's come under quite a bit of fire. Um, ridiculously so, uh, really. Um, but it seems like the press of, you know, they've given him his whatever, you know, few months in charge and they're already going to start laying into him now. There's talk, obviously, of problems behind the scenes of the senior management starting to worry about him, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's it's surely just a load of crap, isn't it? I mean, you know, what what were we expecting from this season? To be honest, I mean, like, I know obviously there's always going to be a contingent of people that are expecting Champions League, but it seems like that early talk of let's give the manager a bit of time has uh, has has all but gone. I mean, do you do you have any like even if you to play devil's advocate, mate? Can you think of any legitimate concerns about Pochettino at the moment and his handling of the team? No, I think he's played under under what twenty games so far as first team manager. Yeah. Um, I, I can't think of any, to be honest. There's there's so much fluctuating at the moment around the around the side, uh, around what he's doing. That it's, I, I wrote that piece earlier on this season about Rodgers' first season at Liverpool, and that's that's the only thing that I can keep comparing it to because they just it's it's such a similar sort of situation because he's going to have to have time to decide on the players he wants to keep and let go. He's going to have to have time to instil a better better mentality throughout the squad, a better understanding of his tactics, and that will not happen overnight. There will be instances where this happens. And until he feels that that side is his own and they know exactly what they want him to do, it's not really going to work out. I mean, that season that, that Rodgers had in his first year, he finished seventh with um, with Liverpool and they didn't do very well at home all season. I think that they only won nine games at home all year, so it wasn't a, a ringing endorsement. That you know, the, it's it's one of those stop-start things. It's going to be so frustrating. It's it's not going to be you know pleasing on the eye for some points of it, but in the long run, it might stand us in a better stead. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's just about patience at the moment. Anyone calling for his head is is uh, is being. It's been a little uh, reactionary, and uh, anybody writing piece in the papers as they have done about you know his his trouble in the the background is just capitalising on the fact that people you know are looking for that sort of story and that bad news sells. I don't think there's yeah. too much to read into it. 
a surprisingly dire piece from uh, Matt Law, who's usually pretty good, but he, he wrote some piece of just toilet paper today about recalling like players like Lamella, Ericsson, um, Capu, I think he highlighted as well. And Chadley called them Pochettino's untouchables and, you know, that senior management are worried as to why he's not incorporating players like Lennon into the fold. And you just think, you know, it's just, it's just gutter journalism. Come on. Like, how, how, how can you lay into the manager and say he's got these untouchable players when they're clearly our, our, our most viable and obviously best options to play at the moment? But whatever. I mean, a few vile things to point out about this Newcastle game. Sammy Amiobi's first Premier League goal. Um, obviously, it came after, what was it, seven seconds? And I believe prior to that... Uh, yes, I'm at the record. Like that, yeah. yeah, the record prior to that was six seconds. And that was also against Spurs. And I think that was Nicholas Bentner, which isn't particularly nice. Perez's first Premier League goal as well against us. The first time in eight years that Newcastle have come back to win when going in at half-time losing. And obviously their first away win since March. Um, which takes us very nicely to Aston Villa, who haven't scored a goal in five games. Um, and to, to chew the fat over that one, Raj is speaking to the ever-lovely Mr. Sam Tai. Welcome back on the show, Sam. Um, I think this is your fourth time now. Uh, have we, we not managed to scare you off yet? Not quite, now. I think, yeah, it's equal parts not scaring me off quite, and maybe equal parts no one's no one else is willing to come on and talk about how we're about to lose to Spurs for the millionth time running, so a bit, bit of both. Have you not, um, you've you've gone on to bigger and better things, though. I mean, is this not a bit below you now? You've appeared on CNN countless times. <laughs> countless times, just stretching it a little bit. I, I've got the counter at two. Um, but I, I, I'm happy to come on Rule the Roost twice a year, three times a year, no problem. That's lovely of you to say. Um, I mean, the last time we spoke together on, on, on the show was during the World Cup when we didn't have to worry about our respective clubs. Uh, that was a much more enjoyable experience. But uh, this time, unfortunately, we have to speak about Tottenham and, and Aston Villa a bit more. Um, Villa summer was, was a bit odd, really. You've made some... some quite large cuts to the squad and, and only brought a few players in. Um, how did you feel going into the season? It was a bit of a weird summer because the, the fans were struggling to understand the business. Um, the first two years under Lambert was very much, let's buy young, let's buy cheap and let's try and nurture that talent. And that was a way to keep the wage bill intact, which was obviously a very clear instruction from Randy Lerner. Um, gone are the days in which, you, which we would then suggest oh yeah we can spend you know 40 grand 50 grand a week on the Richard Dunn at 28 that that, that wasn't going to happen but then we started buying veterans so you look at Senderos uh, Hutton was brought back into the lineup uh, Joe Cole was brought in Ali Sissoko was a late addition as well and it was very much uh, it was very different to how we, we, we were expecting and how we would become used to Lambert operating in the market of course we had that really good start and it's kind of fizzled off and now uh you know, sort of eight, nine games into the season, it, the legs, the, the wear and tear on those players we brought in, like Joe Cole, is really, really showing. And Senderos has played pretty well, but he's not been perfect. And I think it is largely Ron Vlaar holding the defence together again, although he wasn't very good against QPR. But the sort of fast start and the gloss is thoroughly worn off now. And it, it, we're back to the same as usual. We're very concerned about whether or not we'll be in the Premier League again. 
Another who came in the summer was, of course, Roy Keane. Do you think he's got his eye on becoming the manager sometime soon, or is he very much happy being the the coach and and working alongside Lambert for now? Well, that was the speculation to begin with, wasn't it? It was, oh, this this looks like a a bit of a Rene Mullenstein kind of thing, um, which which may which I think it maybe jumped the gun a little bit because I think Keane is a is a very good coach. But I don't think he really enjoys the limelight. So having him as a number two, he doesn't have to go and face the cameras, but he can can do what he does. It is a nice dynamic to have. And Lambert insists that they're working very well together. I don't think that they that he is a, a manager in waiting, not only because Lambert signed a new deal, like literally last month, but also because Randy Lerner is infatuated with, with Paul Lambert and and his ability to keep the costs down and yet still keep us in the Premier League uh, season after season. So... I don't know. I mean, if there's a, there's a comment to make on Roy Keane at the moment, it seems to be that since he's shaved, we haven't won a game, which is a bit of a concern. The You mentioned some of the ones that had come in and out. The ones that stuck out for me were the fact that you, you let a couple go that had been at the club for quite a while. Mark O'Brien, who seemed quite a prospect at one point, and then um, Delfonso as well, who was less of a prospect, but he'd been there a while. Um, Hellenius, who'd been there only a season, I think, and uh, Luna the same. There's there's quite a lot of chopping and changing without really giving that many people too much time. Do you think that the squad's suffering because of that? Um, I I don't know. I think I think the summer in terms of the departures was was all was all pretty much spot on except for the All Brighton one. I think a lot of Villa fans, obviously with All Brighton being a Villa fan and, and a local boy, we all want to see the players do well. But uh, from my understanding, All Brighton's uh, wage demands were a little high considering the sheer amount of injuries he's started picking up over the last 18 months. And it wasn't something that the club were prepared to float. Now they gave, they gave a deal to Gary Gardner, who's been, I think he's torn both ACLs and had chronic back injuries for a year. So I think maybe they filled up their quota of, you know, injury prone youngsters with, with, with just the one in Gardner and decided to let all Brighton go. So I've got no serious qualms with it now, but at the time I was a little bit upset. The rest of them, you know, Hellenius, Last year, didn't play, but it's come out that he suffered from a horrendous virus and he was lost about 10 kilograms in weight. And he really needs to just go and find his feet again. So he's gone back on loan to his old club and, and good luck to him. Uh, I don't think he'll come back. But right now it's about him refining his own career rather than anything that Villa Villa can benefit from. And Antonio Luna, as Spurs fans would have seen last season, it turned out to be a very, very poor footballer. So, you know, when you when you look at him getting destroyed by Andros Townsend, do you remember that at the lane and, and at Villa Park? It it wasn't it didn't make for pretty viewing. We brought Bertrand in, Luna didn't play again, and we didn't want to see him back on the pitch and I think Lambert felt the same. With the the players you've brought in then, uh Sender Ross and Kieran Richardson, Joe Cole um, that that caliber of player and and cleverly as well. Do you think they're they're good additions to the side, or do you think that that just further shows that that Villa aren't aren't spending the sort of money that they were a few years ago? Well, I mean, we barely spent any money early on. Did we? I mean, Richardson, I think, was either free or something like five hundred grand, and the rest of them are free up until the point where we we spent about two million on Ali Sissoko. Um, cleverly was a loan, a bit of bit of fee in there, but he was very cheap as well. It was very cheap business again, um, but I do think that cleverly is is actually a very good player, and obviously that's not the most popular opinion, sort of north north of London. But 
I think he's already shown for Villa that he's actually a very he's actually a very good player. And just because you're not good enough for Manchester United doesn't mean you're not you're not a very good player. He's been one of our better players. And what we did this year was was create some depth in the team, which was really important because you know Delph is now out for two months and. To be able to field a, a midfield of Carlos Sanchez, uh, Ashley Westwood and, and Tom Cleverley, um, it, it, it's a real plus point when you consider that basically what is essentially your best player, Fabian Delph, is out. That's, it's not as crippling as it would have been. So as much as the, the, the signings weren't of the quality that perhaps we wanted, the important thing was that we, you know a couple of key injuries wouldn't derail us. And with Benteke coming back, we knew that we would be in a position to be a little bit stronger just got to tough out the first few months and he's getting a little bit better every now and then. But, you know, the depth was really important. So not too many complaints on that front. You've touched on Delph and Benteke there, but the other player I'd add into the mix is, is Vyman as well and, and Guzan to an extent. Are those four, the the real spine of Villa, are they the four players that you can really hang your hat on and say that they're the ones you look to whenever you're playing a game? They're your best players by, by quite some distance. Well, I think I think it, it's the spine is definitely Guzan um, and Vla, although neither of them covered themselves in glory on Monday night against Queens Park Rangers. They are typically our best performers at the back. Um, Delph, absolutely, um, and I, I hope Carlos Sanchez can be part of that as well soon. But he's still adapting. But it is Delph and it is Benteke. I, I don't think I'd agree with Vyman. Um I don't think Lambert sees him as an undroppable because he has been in and out of the lineup since Benteke's return to fitness. Um, the thing with Vyman is he's a very he's very clever in terms of his movement and he's very, very good on quick breaks. But when we have a lot of the ball, which which is rare, okay, but when we do get the ball, he his technique and his touch and his awareness really lets him down. He's not a very good footballer in the pure sense of the word. He's not a technician. You know, if you if you give him space to run into and, and, and his movement is very good, that that's fantastic. And he's he's hurt Liverpool a few times in the last two years in that method. But when the buck stops with him and he's got the ball and he's got, you know, eight players in front of him and he needs to pick a pass, he really struggles. So he he becomes a bit more dispensable or disposable because he is he becomes almost like a situational player. Okay, he's good in this situation, but he's not good here. And he comes in and out of the lineup as such. So is he comparable to a player like Darren Bent in that sense, where he, he's got one very good facet to his game, but going further than that, there's, there's not really much to be found? Yeah, I think that's probably a, a relatively decent comparison in, in terms of the functionality of the players and, and the limited nature of it. Obviously, that they're very different players. But yeah, Darren Bent right now is reserved to a, a super sub role in which we, we bring him on off for the last 20 minutes and, and we try and play balls into the channels for him and hope he can finish a one-on-one he's already missed three or four this season he's been a serious disappointment um that's his role that's what he's good at of course if we were to play you know a 4-3-3 or even a 4-4-2 against a lower league team I don't think I'd want Darren Bent joining in the build-up play and trying to link play with my midfielders because frankly he can't do it and it's the same it's the same with Vyman I think in space he's very good I think in tight spaces and uh, when he's forced to be on the ball and make decisions he he struggles yeah with with Delph and with Vlar especially, there's been some rumours about them leaving um, and, and Aston Villa haven't really done too well at keeping their best players over the past few seasons. You've got uh, you know, Milner go and, and Downing go. Uh, Benteke as well, who's been constantly linked since almost they arrived at the place. Um, 
do you think they're going to stay at the club for much longer? Or do you think if you have another season like you have the past couple where it's it's lower end of the table and you're in the conversation for relegation for quite a while, do you think they'll be they'll be looking for moves away a little higher up the table? I think I think Ron Vlaar might go as soon as January. Um I think he's I think he's definitely gone by by July. He won't he won't stay with us beyond his contract and I think we'll either sell him in, in January and take the hit, and it will be a, a, a sort of a six or eight million pound hit, which is okay. It's not too bad, but it's a shame to see him go. As, as I said earlier, he's sort of the spine of our defence, the life and soul of our defensive structure. Um, Delph, I have a little bit more optimism that he will stay. He has said that he would be delighted to sign a new deal um, because he owes us so much. If, 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 if the if the listeners aren't quite up to scratch on their Fabian Delph history. He moved from Leeds as a prospect and then tore his ACLs. Again, we seem to have a lot of that. Tore both his ACLs and, and spent about two years on the sidelines not playing a game and has done really well to come back from that. And he himself has said that he owes Villa a lot for that because obviously for two years he took quite a sizable paycheck, which I think is around 40 grand a week and didn't really do anything. So he said he he will give back to the club a little bit more, and I'm optimistic he will sign a deal. I don't think Ron Vlaar will, so that's the two. The other one was Jack Grealish, of course, but he has signed a deal. So uh, that's two out of three. That's probably as good as it's going to get for a club like Villa at the moment. Delph, Delph was at Bradford first, one year, and then and then Leeds poached him from there. Um, you you touch on Grealish. Um, is he he's the one that comes on. Uh, in the odd game with the the floppy hair, isn't he? Do you wanna do you wanna tell us a, a little bit more about him other than my fantastic insight into his haircut? Well, that's the first thing on my scouting report too. Comes on with floppy hair, and the other thing is that he doesn't seem to sometimes doesn't seem to wear any shin pads, or if he does, they're the world's smallest shin pads. So he looks like a very it's a very strange sight to to watch him sort of gallop onto the pitch with the socks down his ankles and his, his, his shaved sides of his head but the top of it flips down like a palm tree it's very weird uh, but he is um he is an exceptional talent and we're all very excited to see him come through he signed a new deal a four-year deal uh, last week or the week before and it was great to see him tied down because he is a local product again he's an Aston Villa fan and um he's basically a player that can you know what I would liken him and I'm not saying he'll get to this level but he has the passing ability and that reverse passing and vision it's likable to to David Silva in the way he can play anywhere across the front just behind the striker he's got good speed good agility and he spots passes that a lot of players don't now I don't know how how far in the game he's going to get but if you're looking for a sort of pro player comparison I'd say it's uh, it's like a mini it's a mini perspective David Silva if we look um more closely at the first four games you played where you actually did well, you won three out of four, I believe. What what was the difference there between what's come before? Was it just an easier fixture list? Was was there a bit more confidence in the side? How come you were, you were doing so well against, you know, you beat Liverpool away as well, so it wasn't all easy fixtures. Was it, what what went wrong so that you, you lost your next five and haven't even scored in them? Well, initially, I think the, the, the basically the first game against Stoke, which is away, uh, that is a game that Villa have always lost. And that was very much a, a 60-40 in favour of Stoke. And we managed to pick up a goal, which was a deflected Vyman strike, and just just hang tight. And in that game, Ron Vlaar and Senderos played out of their skins um, in, in, in the first game together. And that was, that was then, that set the tone for the next three games, I think, because we barely conceded a goal in those games. We only conceded one against Hull, which I think was in the end credited to Alice 
Sissoko as an own goal. So it's the first four games you've only got one against, and it's an own goal from a, from a, a set piece, a bit of a ping pong one. Um, and that 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 was basically that first game set the tone. It was defensive resilience, and that's something Villa have not had for a long, long time. As you've probably seen at the bottom of the table, uh, goals against tally is always fairly high. I think that first season in Lambert was was between the 60 and 70 mark of goals against, which is absurd. But then after the Liverpool game, we we, we hit this this very, very d- difficult run of games. And it's OK to lose against those teams. But what I think we found against QPR on Monday was that we haven't won or scored in so long. And although those you know, those games that we played and that we didn't win or score in, they are acceptable uh, if you take them on a one-off basis. Okay, there's no shame in losing uh, 2-0 to Man City. Um, The the fact that they were all in succession has seriously hurt the confidence. The defence is no longer sort of on top of the world, feeling invincible. And the attack, they haven't put the ball in the back of the net for so long. And even in those four wins, or sorry, uh, three wins and a draw early on, so 10 points in the first four games, the the shots to game ratio was so low. It was very evident that that could not continue. You cannot extrapolate, you know, one shot on target a game and and come out of the other end with with a decent uh, points tally. So it's a bit, it's, it's caved in at both ends. Uh, well, I was very disappointed in Lambert on Monday in, in the way that he failed to adapt to the game. I was I was at Loftus Road to watch it, and um, it didn't go as he as he thought it would. We ended up looking like the home team in in possession, and that has always been Villa's problem uh, on the ball over the last three years. Just not enough quality in the final third. Too too heavy a reliance on on Christian Ben. Benteke to pick the lock on his own, and he's obviously coming back from a torn Achilles. He's a shadow of his former self, and. He, he wasn't he wasn't able to bear the brunt of it and the defensive mistakes cost us um you know Lam- lambert played the the some of the games quite well i think against manchester city he played it as, as well as he could and we ended up conceding in like the 82nd and then the 88th minute and you know if you can hold city out for 82 minutes that's good um but i think the lack What's of quality the in the final third means that lambert, then, because he's, after he's the four game stretch you know eventually that reliance on on your defensive line to, to keep and, to keep an attack in the game an underperforming attack in the game is going to come back and bite you and yeah villa have looked out of ideas on the ball in the final third throughout lambert's tenure but at the moment we've just got to you know without delf and with rusty i mean there's only so much a club out of our stature and our quality can actually take in terms of injuries effect and the performances and that that was just too much for the for the team on Monday you know we're not going to be able to cope with no Delph and no Benteke I was in the press conference on Monday and I I tweeted a picture of of Lambert sitting down down at the table for the press conference and I said Lambert's Lambert's in to speak to us and I put that on Twitter and I looked at my mentions after the press conference and if you want to get a a feeling of, of how the Villa fans feel about this guy at the moment all of the all of the responses were you know tell him he's a a expletive tell him he should be sacked tell him he's terrible ask him what the hell he's doing where the hell is Grealish and not not one of the responses was actually positive and then I started tweeting the quotes out and people were like he needs to be sacked he needs to be sacked I looked at the hashtag AVFC channel on Twitter afterwards and it was all Lambert out Lambert out 
I can't really think of many people off the top of my head that that actually, in terms of fans, that actually support him at the moment. I'm, I'm a little bit more patient. I can understand that. I mean, the five-game loss streak and the five-game scoreless streak is a nightmare. But there are some circumstances there that, that make it slightly okay. I mean, it's not perfect, but you can kind of understand it. But the, the problem is that he, is he will get that now for the whole whole the whole season uh, there will be a Lambert out the whole season and trust me he will not be fired before you know okay if he loses 10 in a row maybe he has to go but I think he could lose eight and I don't think he'll be fired so that's that's a problem for Villa because we're going to sort of disenfranchise the fan base from the from the from the front office or whatever and we're going to end up with no support for the team then baying for his head and the chairman simply refusing so I mean no good can come of that a disenfranchised fan base is something that Tottenham are currently experiencing and we, we have done for quite some time, I believe. Um, you know, you've probably seen this firsthand with the fact that when we tweeted out some questions about this, this show and asking you about Villa, most of them were along the lines of how many are you going to beat us by and have you got any players that haven't scored in the league before because I'd like to put a bet on them too. Do you, do you think that Aston Villa fans are, <laughs> are looking forward to playing Tottenham because we're... When this similar position of, of a transition and the the mood around the club isn't as as positive as perhaps you'd, you'd want it to be, do you think even though that even though you know the recent history of this fixture has been very much in our favour, do you think that Villa are, are, can do a Newcastle so to speak this this weekend and, and take advantage of that? Um, I think the overwhelming feeling is that we're going to get crushed, and um, as we always do. I saw an interesting stat earlier that was uh, you know Villa have won and haven't scored in the last five fixtures in the Premier League. That's also the case in the last five fixtures against Tottenham. Uh, uh, haven't won in five, haven't scored in five. We, we, we continue to to be crushed by you. And I don't think anyone feels like that's going to change. Um, I, I understand from your perspective that, you know, it's not going very well for, for Pochettino in the league, at least. Um, it is sort of stumbling from one game to the next. If there's any silver lining for Villa, it's that we played Pochettino twice last season. We drew nil-nil at Villa Park and we won 3-2 somehow at St. Mary's Stadium. So we, we took four points off him last season. Lambert does tend to... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Figure managers out. I think he's figured Brendan Rodgers out pretty easily. Um, it remains to be seen if he's figured Pochettino out, of course. But he does have a track record with certain managers and that really is probably the only, only, only sort of ray of light that we can hold on to at the moment for this, this fixture. 
One question that uh, Jack was was very intent on me asking you um, was uh, around 10 years ago, both Tottenham and, and Villa were probably in a similar sort of position uh, where we were both looking to try and crack into the Champions League places. We had Martin Yole, it was that sort of era at Tottenham. And uh, Aston Villa were very much one of those teams around us as well, alongside probably Everton. Uh, this is before Manchester City got their their cash injection and you know financially doped their way to to some sort of success that they're enjoying now. Um, do you think that's what went wrong? How come you, how come you never kicked on in the fashion that that perhaps Everton did this season? They managed to get fourth, and the seasons that, that Tottenham did in the, the couple of years that we managed to get there. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and blame one person for it because it's very harsh. But I think a lot of what went wrong can be attributed to Martin O'Neill. And this may sound uh, like a, a sort of bitter old fan's tale, but he built one of those teams. Um, and I, I kind of, in this specific circumstance, liken him a little bit to Jose Mourinho. In they both team, they they seem to build teams that only they can manage, and afterwards it becomes very difficult for another manager to succeed now O'Neill as we know is not really a tactical mastermind he plays pretty basic stuff and he he, he thrives on motivating his players and drawing every last extract of energy out of them he tired the football club out he didn't buy a deep squad and critically he put quite a lot of uh, 28 29 30 year old plus players on long three or four year deals uh, and they they quickly you know became Sort of, they started declining, and they then were no longer worth that money. We tried to get rid of them post O'Neill, and it wasn't possible because who in their right mind would take on Richard Dunn's fifty-five grand a week? Who would, who in their right mind would take on Shea Givens' fifty-five grand a week? He's still here for Christ's sake. So we've been burdened financially, and and at some point, either last season or season before, you could easily count up two hundred and seventy thousand pounds a week that we were burning on Darren Bent or Shea Given or Alan Hutton at the time, or Richard Dunn's old contract. And you could say, right, well, that is money that we are not using. Um, Lambert's tried to move them on and he can't. They're no longer any good. They're no, lo- they're no longer fit, but we're still paying them. And we can't move on until they all leave. We're still under that kind of uh, pressure and that restraint now because Shea Given is still here and Darren Bent is still here. That, I mean, that's, a, that's 120 grand a week right there. And it's very difficult for, 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 le- for Lerner to, to find more money in the wage budget while these players are still around. So... That, I think, is where it started. Alex McLeish made horrendous decisions. Um, Shea Given was one of his. Alan Hutton was was one of his as well. So he didn't exactly help. But I think it started with O'Neill, and we've basically just been spiralling the entire time. And we're looking, for, we're looking for an out. And I don't think that out comes until all of that money is, is moved off the bill. I'd forgotten, um, as I think you probably wish, that Alex McLeish was actually at the club. That was a... The horrible season. Um, he, he managed to make himself public enemy number one in the Midlands across two seasons. Even though he won, he won the Carling Cup with Birmingham, didn't he? Uh, with Ob- Obafemi Martin scored against Arsenal. Do you, just to go away from the game for a second, do you realise it's Obafemi Martin's thirtieth birthday this week? What again? <laughs> I don't know again, but apparently he was twenty-four years old. He says when he left Newcastle, which. I mean, I don't want to get in straight into the territory of just laughing at the the issue of Nigerian footballers' ages, but the fact that he's he's saying it's his thirtieth birthday this week is is hilarious. It's but it's beyond hilarious. There's no way he's 
Dirty. No way. <laughs> there was. It, it reminds me of that that Lazio player last year who who was accused of being in his forties and who was actually seventeen. Or <laughs> his official his official papers said he was seventeen. Yeah, I saw that. I, yeah, I saw that as well. That was quite funny. I mean, again, again, he's been proven as seventeen. We can't say anything different. But just Google the picture. Yeah, he's. If he is seventeen, he's had an extremely hard paper round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, going this game, then you, you've said that that Lambert's got a good record against Pochettino. Do you think that the way he's going to set up will 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 change? Do you think he's going to do anything different with the team to to try and counteract the way in which Pochettino want to go at him? I'm not sure. I, I think um, I think. Pochettino's style um, was 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 branded as possession based pre Spurs arrival, but I don't I don't really agree with that. I think although he does like to keep the ball and, and keep the ball on the deck, I always found that Pochettino was very very direct in the way he moved the ball from back to front, and I've noticed the way uh, you know Etienne Capou has become a, a key player for you guys and simply kind of shoveling the ball from defence through to attack quite quickly in, in transitions and, and trying to trying to move the ball forward as quick as possible. And it's quite a simple but quite an important role. Um, and I, I think that plays into Villa's hands because Villa are a team that, you know, if you, if you go 100 miles an hour at them, they'll go 100 miles an hour at you. And that is where they are most comfortable because they don't have to overthink things. There's probably more space to play in. There are probably a few more passing avenues open. And we do have quick players still. Vyman is quick. Benteke is quick. Agbonlahor is quick. Cleverly is actually quite fast as well. And breaking like that is, is Villa's strength. So if Pochettino plays his, what I consider to be his normal game, um, I do think there are opportunities for Aston Villa to score. I just think it's a case of having to be clinical because we will give up opportunities as well. And I do see us conceding at least two goals. And of course we haven't scored in five. Would it change here? What would be your, uh, your score prediction if you had to guess? Well, I don't love the look of your defense. Um, it's not the worst, but it's certainly not the best. And um, I thought Kabul was an odd choice for captain because I probably wouldn't be working him further into the side. Personally, I think I'd be working him. Uh, slightly further out. Um, I think probably a 2-1 or a 3-1 for for Tottenham would would be my prediction. Um, I don't think I've ever come on here and predicted a Villa win. And I'll keep to that because we never win. But uh, I think we've finally got a goal in us because it will open out as such. But I don't think we can score as many as you can. Did you see that thing in in Roy Keane's autobiography where he, he, he talked about Alex Ferguson giving team talks before games and sometimes he'd talk to them at length and sometimes he'd he'd say very little and on and the he remarked on one occasion where they played Tottenham and, and Fergie essentially just walked into the changing room and said lads it's Tottenham and walked out again do you think that's that's an attitude that Roy Keane's gonna gonna be trying to impress on the Villa players that lads it's Tottenham you you can beat these do you think there'll be a bit more belief there or do you think there's a, a that's an issue that that Roy Keane can't fix um I don't think that that is, is translatable. I did see the quote. I haven't read the book, but I saw that quote. It did make me chuckle, um, as I'm sure I did uh, many people that don't support Tottenham. But I don't think that's. I don't think he's in a position to do that. I don't think we're we're good enough to. You know that 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 
that sort of cocky attitude ties in with the the sheer strength of the Manchester United side at the time. The fact that they they were better than you, they were better than almost everyone or everyone in 1999, and it, it's just uh, it's just not an attitude you can take with a squad uh, as limited as ours in terms of quality. I mean, to, to, I tell you what, this kind of sums it up on Monday. Night cleverly was playing on the left and 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 he kept linking up with Sissoko and it was it was looking very good and he was you know holding the ball up and wait, waiting for Sissoko's run and, and playing him in until they got to about forty minutes in and he realised that Sissoko can't can't kick a ball properly so he started holding it up letting Sissoko run and then just completely ignoring him cutting in and crossing because he thought why why would I pass it to him you know we're, we're light years away from the attitude where we can walk in and go come on guys it's Tottenham let's just go and win we're quite far away. Do you think Pochettino should walk into the dressing room and then say in his broken English, lads, it's it's only Aston Villa? Well, I'd like to think he won't do that, but um, <laughs> I'd also like to think that he's not really that kind of coach. He seems quite methodical. He's not he's not the uh, the brass balls bravado kind of guy. Is he? he's um, he's he's quite tactical and quite precise. I suppose he could try it. Um, I hope it wouldn't work. Right. Um, thanks very much for for coming on again, Sam. Um, if you, if you want to follow Sam and uh, see him take over the the world of football journalism one day at a time, one CNN appearance at a time, uh, it's, it's S, at S T I Football, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. T I G H E. Yeah. Yep. Uh, as in suit and tie, as you point out, and um, you mm. could as as a, as a fan of his work, uh, Sam Sam's writing is very good. It's it appears all over the place. He works late into the night, as we experienced during the World Cup when we had a very similar method of staying up until about four in the morning and then waking up in the afternoon to watch the next set of games. So um, it's some somebody you should you'd be getting involved with, especially if you like this podcast and you like hearing me talk shit, then Sam does it in a, an equally good fashion. Cool. I remember, I remember that. Yeah, it was pretty horrible. And for me, it was more like 7 a.m. sleeping time. Um, I remember I remember setting all my previews to Autoland at 7am, but I, I was setting them at 6.58. So I was like, what's the point? I'll just stay up two minutes and then release them and go to bed. <laughs> you you had all the, uh, the every single game's tactical preview and every single um, team's tactical preview set up as well, which was fantastic work. Um, yeah, but... there's still a Google document somewhere with all of that in. Ugh, it's like an odyssey. I do, I do, <laughs> it's like an odyssey that I can't bear to look at because it brings back horrible memories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I enjoyed watching that World Cup, but when I look back on it now and the hours I was keeping and the, the state I'd got into where I'd, I was just unkempt, it wasn't it wasn't a great place. But um, I think we best get off now because we we've got a FIFA game to play, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sam. Bye. Bye. Cheers, Sam. Um, pleasure as always. He's he's another good one. Is old is old Sam Ty, isn't he? Big dog as well nowadays. I don't know if he's, I think he was on telly the other day, talking with his Adam Lallana haircut. So yeah, it's more it's, it's more Alexis Sanchez to be honest. Uh, he's on he's on C- he's on CNN, isn't he? Because he's Bleacher Reporter, uh, American orientated by nature. So uh, he's doing very well for himself. We we first had him on the podcast, and he wasn't he wasn't yet at those uh, those dizzying heights. But I think through so you could say we contributed to it, couldn't you? That's what I was about to say. Through association with us, he's clearly gone on to bigger and better things. <laughs> well, that's that's what we're like, you know. With a with a I don't know. Fuck it, I don't care. Fuck you, Sam Ty, you successful bastard. Um, 
Not really, I love you. Uh, but yeah, Villa, um, I, I don't at all want to say it's a game we should win. It's a game we should win, obviously, but the way we're playing at the moment, it's 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 anyone's really, isn't it? I mean, we obviously, we don't have that, the added pressure of playing at home, which seems to be something, again, that people are highlighting quite a bit recently. Um, but would you would you take a draw, for example, mate? I don't think we should be aiming to draw any of these fixtures. I think we should be aiming to win them. Um, I think that's the only way to fully implement a system is to try and do your very best within every given opportunity. Um, I think Aston Villa are, are again a team much like Newcastle that are in need of a win. And if we exploit them in the same manner that we did Newcastle in the first half, we should be able to beat them. Um, if we take our chances better than we did against Newcastle, then we should be ahead. Um, like I said before, we 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 could have been out of sight for Newcastle. And that second half could have been a, a non-event if um, if we'd just taken the chances in the first half. And it's one of those things that again I, I refer to that first season that that Rodgers had at Liverpool. But do you remember how many times they were they were doing silly things like hitting the bar? And I think there was a, a statistic that at the time had they had every time they'd hit the bar being a goal, they would have finished fourth quite comfortably. So I think it's just it's just it's very small margins between something actually clicking, and I think it's about patience. And patience, as, as we've said numerous times before, isn't synonymous with Tottenham Hotspur at the moment, and that's that's massively regrettable. Um, but I, I hope probably just football in general, to be honest, mate. Uh, of course, yes, but we, I think as a as a uh, as a sample, we um we've we've yeah. been through uh, our fair share of of uh, ideas and plans and managers in in a short space of time. So um, I don't think it's unfair to say that we, we do have a tendency to to stop something midway through. I mean, I, I, people are probably bored of me by now saying that I, I, I'm still of the opinion that, that Andre Villas-Boas should have never been sacked when he was. So it's, um, it's just one of those things, really. We have to kind of pick ourselves off, dust ourselves off and, and try and go on. I mean, Pochettino is not going to be amused whatsoever. I think there's going to have to be some form of a of an attitude reaction, if not a, a performance one against Brighton. They need to be seen to to be trying a little bit more against Brighton um, midweek. Um, I think that's, that's the least that we can expect. Uh, anything more than that um, was, is, is obviously down, dependent on how things go on the night. Um, I think he's he's clearly uh, trying his hardest in the cups, which is nice to see. I mean, if if this season does end in us finishing sixth, seventh, eighth, but we've picked up a cup or we've had a, a very good cup run in one of them, I, w- I wouldn't be displeased with that. And I don't think that's a negative thing to say. I think that's just being realistic. To be honest, I don't think there's anything wrong with with uh, allowing yourself to to be realistic rather than kind of. Uh, Dreaming, dreaming a little bit too, uh, too unrealistically. No, of course. Um, I mean, Mister Friend of the Show, Mister Seb Premier League Al. He he wrote a very good piece about Tottenham soft side this week, um, and just kind of about expectation and about the kind of this this cycle of crap that we've basically got ourselves caught in with. And yeah, he's not saying so much that. Pochettino is the answer that he's going to transform us into this, you know, revolutionary kind of title chasing contender once again. But, you know, there's, there has to come a point whereby we do just realize our position 
stick with a manager and let us implement some sort of philosophy, like let the club build some kind of identity again. Because at the moment, you know, the club really, it does feel, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch that there's no real identity anymore. And that's, that's undeniably a result of us having this, you know, open door policy, both with transfers probably and, uh, and with most definitely first team management and coaching. Um, and I mean, you, you just need to start to, to look at the bigger picture in that it, it may not be that we are ever again chasing the top four underneath Pochettino, but if we can give him three, four seasons whereby we start to identify a few faces, we have someone come through like Harry Kane, we have someone like Ryan Mason who are like established first team players who can retain that like essence of what Tottenham are. So much like we had with players like Dawson, Keane, King, um, I guess like Tom Hoddlestone to a lesser extent, players like Aaron Lennon when he was still a first team regular, so on and so forth. Um, and we can then begin to build on top of that again. But it, it just feels at the moment like there's no there's no sediment, there's no founding to us anymore. Um, and even if that is Pochettino's role with us, even if it is to kind of just to build this platform that isn't so disrupted that we don't have so many kind of journey. Yeah, there's always going to be journeyman players, but if it's not just so much a culture of kind of players that don't really feel like there's any, you know, that there's any attachment there with the club, then I think that's what we can we can hope for and just see that you know once there is more of an idea of what it is that Tottenham are, how they're to play. Um, and the type of players that we want to attract again, we can then start to think about challenging again. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel it was under under Redknapp. In that, you know, maybe you know, you know, you and I, but we're both guilty of kind of writing off what what Redknapp did. But I think it's one of my one of my bugbears about it is that you know, before Redknapp came, there had been years and years of steady progress. And yeah, you know, there'd been managers in and out the door again, but like, you know, you had Yol who'd been there for quite a while, who kind of really cemented his kind of, not so much his philosophy, but just cemented a kind of a core group and a, 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 a core kind of ethos to the team, which obviously Ramos came very close to undoing, but it's like, Redknapp stepped in and inherited that, and yeah, he yeah you know, he did he did work well with what he inherited, which was a very strong team, and it was be- but it was because that team was so well established and it was so clear as to what it needed just to get that extra push that he was able to bring in kind of those those obvious signings, players that we knew we needed, like Wilson Palacios at the time, which you know he he was branded as kind of like a, a genius for signing Palacios at the time. Um, and as much as it, you know, it was the signing we needed. Everyone knew we needed that kind of that general in midfield, and he brought him in, and then he he brought in Peter Crouch as well, um, and just kind of shored up what was already a very strong team. But you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm digressing a bit, but I just feel that that's what Spurs lack at the moment is a kind of is a core and any sort of stable platform on which to build, and that's what we need to establish. We need to stop thinking about challenging now we need to just think about like consolidating what we have again i mean it's it's probably not going to be pretty and it's not going to be nice and we're, we're probably going to have more days like we had against newcastle and against west brom but it's just 
the more and more we keep having like the you know the rug pulled out from underneath us, it's it's ultimately just detrimental to the club. Um, and you know, I, I understand people's frustration. Yeah, there's a lot of people there who, I'm, again, I'm not a season ticket holder, so you can't say, oh, you know, people can't be pissed off. People are paying, you know, thousands of pounds a year to go and watch Tottenham, and of course they're going to be fucked off when they turn up and you see a result like Newcastle. But at the same time, I guess you just have to try and be rational and see that, like, you know, it's only in results like the one we faced at Newcastle where we can really identify what's going wrong with the team and how to make that better. Um, but, you know, it's fucking gutting. And it's fucking gutting to having to, to watch things like that. But, you know, let's move forward. Let's move on to one of the to one of the list of questions. Um, this will be a, a, a good one that I, I feel, given that you uh, are better at football than me, Raj, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to answer this one um, with more tenacity shall we say we've had one from richard deforge deforges at dicky des basically who says is rose really any good or does he just run quickly up the wings putting in mostly aimless crosses to then find himself out of position um i think uh i think he needs a lot of work doing to him i think there's nothing wrong with his attitude or his application um, he's in he's in the need of coaching, which he's received so far. Um, he's improved quite a lot already, um, and we heard a lot that, that we quite laughed off quite quite offhand from Sunderland when he was there that there was the best left back they'd seen there in years, and obviously they they've just had their asses handed to him eight 0 so they've obviously not been uh, embarrassed by defending riches of late, but. Um, He's obviously got something there. He's he's always played for England at various age groups. He's someone that we we identified very early on at his time at Leeds, and he's a player that Leeds are actually still quite bitter about losing because there were it was somebody there that they rated very highly and they saw doing very well for them. Um, and it, we we bought him at a time where Leeds were just starting to starting to get back to their feet um, in a financial sense. I think before they fell over again, to be honest, uh, a second time. But um, and what, it wasn't a sale they needed to be made, but it was one that, that we pushed ahead with anyway. Um, I don't think he's a bad player whatsoever. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a top player. We, we're never going to have a, a, a you know the world's best left back on our hands. But he, he's by no means not good enough, um, and that's not something that we could have really said um, before this season. I don't think he's he's really pushed on. And he's actually playing very well. If he if he manages to stay fit for a full season, I think that's a massive, um, massive plus for him because it's not something we've seen so far. His, his fitness record for us has been fairly poor. So for Danny Rose this year, if he carries on progressing at the same rate, he is doing slightly improves his crossing as as has been mentioned, um, and again improves his defending in the, the same sort of manner he is currently, um, and stays fit for that entire side entire site entire time even um then then i'd be very pleased with his year um i'm you know he's, he's i think he's he's taken his, his chance this season with uh ben davies coming in and he's he's done very well so we've got two two fairly young left backs there out to prove themselves and um we, we could be in a much worse situation to be honest do you reckon that's that's Part of it, I mean, surely that's part of it. The fact he's got some legitimate competition now as well is 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 healthy for the club and it's healthy for a, healthy for the player, isn't it? 
Yeah, of course it is. In, in, in all facets of, of life, I think competition is something that strives people on. Um, even if you, if you strip it down and look at it it's, in its most raw sense, something like a, a call centre or something like that, they've always got that, that whiteboard, haven't they, at the front? Um, it's got people's sales targets and things on like that. Um, it's uh, competition's one of those things that seems to spur people on and outdoing things and proving yourself is something that that really uh, really seems to motivate more than more than other things seems to so he's um he's taken that on board and he's he's pushed himself and you can you can really ask for no much than no much more than that. Yeah, good on him, good lad. Um we've had one from Henry at Young Fuck Your Rat. Fuck your cat, young fuck your cat, I don't know, whatever. Sounds pleasant. Um that, I don't know. Well his question is, why are we so shit? Um, I don't think we're that shit. We're a I. bit shit. But, you know, I don't think we're that shit. I've seen a lot of people say Lamella's shit, which I really just find quite ridiculous. But, I, I you know, we've we've had a few shit performances, but I think there's plenty to be to be happy about at the same time in that, you know, we, we're seeing the emergence of a player like Ryan Mason again. I mean, I know we, we kind of disagreed about it in the week when I said that he could be our, our James Milner. But uh, I, I still think, you know, as much as the lad's never going to be a superstar for us, I still think he's going to be that, or, or hopefully at least, be that that kind of steady Eddie type player, that 7 out of 10 every week. Um, and at, at the same time, you know, I, against uh, Newcastle, he was getting up in people's faces, you know, on, on the Newcastle team and on his own team, screaming at players. Uh, I think he was, he was giving Lamella a bit of a torrid time, kept shouting at him to get back and defend and so on and so forth. And, you know, again, we've seen players like Harry Kane come through. So there's still there's still plenty to be positive about. We've just, you know, we've had so much instability um, kind of, uh, you know, in, in still at the club over the past few years. There's, there's going to be a, a knock-on from that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I didn't really listen to what you were saying. I apologise. I've been having a look at Henry... It's all right, mate. I've been having a look at Henry's profile on Twitter just to see what his name was. He's... Uh, his byline is uh, master of pelvic sorcery, um, which, given the age, awesome. he, which, given the age he appears to be in his photo, is uh, quite impressive. I think it's going to be one of those things that Henry, in his uh, in years to come, is going to look back on and be very proud of when he reaches his his, his older ages. A master of pelvic sorcery, so does that mean he wanks a lot? Then probably. And uh, yeah, he, he he dances like Shakira while he does it. I think. <laughs> hips don't lie um, right so fuck you Henry and fuck your cat um, let's uh, what's not, his name not not his cat lad that said... let's not don't bring his cat into it I quite what? like cats so don't bring his cat into it I quite I like, like cats as well yeah I'm more of a cat person than a dog person I've, I've never really taken to dogs I don't like them very much well Rich, Richard Meehan <laughs> you're just fuck desperately you. clawing this back cats and I just don't, don't want to want to move away from it. I don't like it. Um, Richard Meehan, he says, has Raj gone to the cinema on his own yet? Uh, I have, yeah. Where's that come from? Um, Where, where's that come from, anyway? Why is he asking that? A few weeks ago. Um, it might have been a month ago now. It's something I've tweeted a few times, I think. it's. Uh, I often have quite a lot of time to myself because I often have things that I have to do in the morning and then have an afternoon I've got something else on. But that period of time during... Is that because is that you haven't got any mates? Um, it's because my mates have normal normal <laughs> jobs and I don't. So my job, 
uh, kind of leaves me with the middle of my day free. Um, so I am, um, I'm often left alone during the middle of the day, especially during the week. Um, and what I usually end up doing is just like sitting in a coffee shop and doing some work or you know reading a book or something sad like that. Uh, while I wait for three or four hours for the next engagement to come along, whereas um, what I've always wanted to do, but never really had the uh, the the ability to get over my prejudices to do, was go to the cinema alone. And uh, it was something about three weeks ago. I uh, I plucked up the courage and uh, and did, and I was I was very pleased to. It was uh, a liberating experience. Did- did you wear like a hoodie or something in case someone saw you, someone in town? No, I uh, I, uh, I strode in and uh, I expected like, you know, it's one of those things that's entirely inside your own head. I think it's something that, that most people, not most people even, because when I tweeted it, most some people did come back and say, yeah, I have the same hang up. It's something I want to do, but I've never had the... Had the you know, I don't want to say courage because it's not like he's running into a you know, battlefield or something, but it's... You know, it, you know the courage to do, uh, whereas some people go, I've, I've never thought about it. I've just done it. And it's, I think it's very similar to people who are quite comfortable in uh, going to restaurants alone and things like that. Just just to be seen to be comfortable inside your own company, which I am. But to do that in public is something else entirely. I kind of expected the the last at the uh, the ticket thing to kind of snigger as I asked for one ticket. But uh, she she was very pleasant. I think it's something they must see all the time, and she didn't blink twice. And you know I. I'd, I'd gone to the uh, the Sainsbury's in Leeds City Centre before and then got myself a you know a meal deal and sat in there and had my lunch while I watched a film and it were it were cracking. I'd I've been again since. Um, I'd uh, I'd I would tell anyone that that has the same intentions to to do the very same. It's um, there's no better be, no better way to to spend your your afternoon alone to be honest as long as the film's good. So, uh, do you say you're writing a piece about it now, though, aren't you? I have written a piece about it. It's uh, it's floating about. Is that top secret? Am I not allowed to do that? No, no, it's fine. It's it's not top secret. It's just you know the process of having written something and then pitching it. It's um, people have probably had the same experience when they've sent me things to to go on the Spurs Statman site. Half the time, it just kind of gets lost in your inbox. So it's just waiting on editors and sub editors and. And whoever to uh, to pick up the email, not pick it up. I mean, there's a dialogue, but kind of get round to you know gladiator style, thumbs up, thumbs down type of thing, and it'll, it'll get published. <laughs> okay, it'll get published at some point, but it's uh, whether or not somebody's going to let me uh, line my pockets for for the uh, the pleasure or not. I mean, I've uh, I've been to the cinema on my own. I've, I've done it a few times, and I agree with you. It's 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 all right, you know. I have I have felt a bit weird about going in on my own, and I, I do sometimes think you get kind of shifty looks from people sat around you when they realise that you are on your own. Um, it's usually probably because I'm I'm the one that goes in with like a massive popcorn and a massive drink as well, just sat there on my own at the back of the cinema. But anyway, um, when I've when I've been with the uh, when I've been with the missus before though, um, I. Basically, pre-film, I'm having I'm having a dump, and the cubicle next to me, I hear what can. Basically, what you know, a man knows this noise well, and I heard what was unmistakably the sound of someone masturbating in the was in it, the cubicle um, beside it, me. Did it sound like um? Yeah, that and almost like you know, you've got like the the forearm rubbing on the jean it's kind of the 
you know, the friction noise. I wasn't out. Just, down just, two. just in case anyone was wondering, I didn't actually. I, all I did was pinch my cheek and move it against the side of my yeah, mouth. Yeah. Like, like yeah, I'm, a, like you, I'm a child. You got it in hand, mate. Is your chance? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I, I basically I hear this sound and I I, I, I left. I, I I actually I actually made a <clears throat> to kind of let this bloke know I could hear what he was doing. I let out this kind of terse cough and just kind of thought, you know, it's not fucking on. You know, you can hear that I'm sat next to him. He's giving out on this bloke to be knocking one off. Just wait until he gets home. But anyway, so uh, I leave I leave the toilet and I I go straight out to to the missus who's standing outside the screen, just saying like. It's fucking, you won't believe this. Some fucking bloke's just been knocking one off in the toilet, um, in the cubicle next to me, blah, blah, blah. And there's still about sort of five, ten minutes before the film starts. Um, and so I, I then wait with like the drinks and all that, the popcorn and crap, as she goes off to the toilet. Um, and then she comes back and we're all ready to go. And in this time, because obviously he's waited in the men's for a bit, and this time when we're about to go into the cinema, um, one, there's no one else has gone in and out. Basically, the chap who was this is actually quite a shit story. Basically, the bloke that was in the toilet came out, came into the same cinema with us, and sat down very close to us. And I, I just knew the whole way through this film that the gentleman sat behind me that was like eating very loudly and breathing heavily throughout this performance had been in a in a cubicle masturbating next to me, and it it, it felt like an 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 oddly intimate but harrowing experience that I, I was sharing with him and it, it ruined the it ruined the cinematic experience for me and also made me feel that by proxy when I go to the cinema on my own that I'm that man. It doesn't mean that I go and masturbate before I go watch a film or anything when I'm on my own. Was, but, was he on his yeah. own? Yeah, he was on his own. See that's that's the person that's, who's, what I'm saying. that's, that's the person who's giving the rest of us a bad name. But maybe maybe there's something to it. Maybe that's maybe that was him getting the edge off. I don't know. Were you give it a go, watching, mate? Next time you go to the cinema on your own. Were you watching a partic- particularly sexually charged film? No, I can't remember what it was we were watching. It might have been something like fucking dog shit, like Godzilla or something. Um, maybe monsters do it for him. Perhaps, yeah. I'm saying that Elizabeth there's... Olsen is in that film, and she is particularly attractive. But you know, it's not one that I'd like. The thought of watching her in a monster film would like, I'd be uncontrollable and have to find the nearest sheltered space to to see to myself. He, he had a Maplin uniform on as well. I don't know if that described like helps set the scene any further. But yeah, he had a Maplin uniform on, um, and a big like Berghaus kugel and rucksack. Um, he was very much yeah that kind of guy. But, uh, all this, yeah, um, all this story true. reminds me of is, uh, of is. Uh, I remember uh, reading a, a similar sort of story um, around the Ginsters factory, and I apologise to anyone who listens to us <laughs> who, um, and, uh, who, uh, who eats Ginsters because ever since my dad told me this story some years ago now, uh, quite a few years ago, um, I've never touched a, a Ginsters product since, and uh, the story goes that. Um, 
there's a in the Ginsters factory. Uh, there's this massive block of like lard in the middle that they're using all their pastries and everything, and everyone kind of takes off what they need when they want. And uh, every, it's quite a community in there, so everyone goes for lunch at the same time. They go to a local pub, have a have a liquid lunch, have a chat and uh, a talk and everything. Then everyone goes back and works in the factory together. And uh, there's this one bloke that works in the factory who never goes to lunch with them. And um, at first they think, oh, he just must have, you know, fallen on hard times. He wants the extra pay. He's, he's just a hard worker. Maybe he's a, a solitary soul. And um, anyway, they ask him every day, just out of politeness, do you want to come? And he always refuses quite nicely and, and just gets on with his work. Anyway, one day they uh, they get to they get to being a bit curious. So they, they ask him as they usually do. And... Uh, they 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 uh, get the same response and pretend to leave, only they hang back just to kind of keep an eye on him and see what he actually does. And uh, in the time that you know he thinks they've gone, so he, he kind of does a lap of the uh, the factory floor, checks that nobody's there, looking a bit shifty, and they're all kind of looking at him like, "What's he doing?" Anyway, he walks over to the uh, to the massive bit of lard that's <laughs> in the centre of the uh, factory and uh, builds himself a, a snug little alcove. Um, in a shape that that one can only imagine, and uh, begins to <laughs> to insert himself inside it, and uh, and has his wicked way with it inside the the allotted time, and then with the uh, the piece of lard in which he's the the piece of lard in which he's extracted from the side of the the uh, the giant piece, he then just simply pats it back into place, leaving his um, his deposit behind, shall we say. So, um, oh. so obviously there's health and safety standards there that are uh, not being <laughs> met, but um, it's uh, that's that's the reason why I've never eaten against. I don't think I've particularly eaten against this beforehand, but it's why I particularly now stay away from it as with as uh, with as much uh, <laughs> with that in mind. It's gonna say they're absolute muck anyway, so it's uh, but that's oh dear, that's that's pretty horrible. Um, yeah, so I think we've uh, we've we've come we've run the course of uh, Will the Rich podcast for another week. Um, anything going up on the site on Spurs Statman this week, mate? Um, there's that piece that I wrote on Harry Kane, as you said. Um, there'll be a preview of the um, next Aston Villa game going up, and tonight earlier on there was um, Ian Walker wrote the the analysis of Newcastle, really good. Um, so check that out if you're into your, your tactics and whatnot, because uh, that's well worth reading. So um, just just that sort of usual usual business is uh, well worth keeping around. Also, I forgot um, Jack, not you, the bossman. Jack is is writing a um, like a statistical preview of the weekend. So rather than just talking through the game, it'll be almost like a a call sheet of the most important statistics to kind of look out for and, and bear in mind going into the weekend. So. Um, that's a new little segment. I'm sure he'll he'll crack on with whenever he's got the time. So if if you if you're interested in that sort of business, and um, keep an eye out for all those sort oh. of things. Good man. Um, of course, as well, we uh, did last week release our Rollery special. It's an evergreen piece, that one. So um, circle back and just have a little listen to our discrimination in football podcast. Um, We've been been having some some good feedback from that one, Rod. You've been happy with how it's been received. Yeah, um, it's been been really nice to to hear what people have thought about it, and that most people have have taken it on board in the way in which we've intended. So it's um it's good just to to get that dialogue going and to 
to um to have made that. Obviously, it's a, a, a change of pace for us um, in terms of content and, and thematically, uh, especially given the the Ginster story I've just told. Um, I don't think that <laughs> that's not a conversation I have with Tri Townsend on the uh, the podcast. So. Um, <laughs> It's um it's a much more serious and tone thing as it as it should be given the, the subject matter, so it's one that we um we hope that if you if you listen to it then just share it and ask people who aren't Tottenham fans anyone that that's interested in sport in general they don't even have to be football fans just to to listen in and really see what's going on with the sport and how it's been uh, how it's been tackled at the moment. Yeah, um, well that's. Very good point, mate. Um, and you can listen to that podcast, of course, either on iTunes or going to our our host website um, and partner run by the boss, Mr. JP, SpursStatman.com. Um, you can, of course, follow the boss as well at SpursStatman. Uh, follow our ramblings at RTRSSM. Um, follow us on iTunes. Give us some more reviews. You can't follow us on iTunes. I'm turning to my dad. Whatever. Fuck off. Come on, you Spurs. Future's bright. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 